Well, greetings, everybody. I'm going to greet you from here, and uh, we're going to begin. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. So I began this message two weeks ago um, on November 1st, and the last week Gatana was here, and I want to I want to finish that message about Reformation and truth. We talked a little bit about the Reformation, why that was important, why we are all products of the Reformation um, in our faith today um, as what we call evangelical Protestant believers. But what I really wanted to highlight in all of that is that the Reformation was a return back to the Scripture. Scripture alone was the cry of the Reformation. And everything that the church was and everything that the church did was to be submitted to the Scripture. In other words, our ways, our lifestyles, what we believe, the things we do, we should find uh, precedent in the Scripture. Now, there's a way that we can do that where we become very legalistic and micromanage our lives and believe things that aren't actually scriptural. So you're not going to find it in the Scripture that you can drive a car, but you all drive a car. So some people could say, and actually some people do say, There's no precedent in Scripture for driving cars. Therefore, we don't drive cars. If you are going to try to find a Scripture to give you a reason to do everything at that level, then your lifestyle better change very radically. But if we understand the Spirit behind the truth conveyed in this word. We understand there's a biblical and a scriptural way to drive a car, and there's an unscriptural and unbiblical way to drive a car. It's not about whether you drive a car or not, it's, it's how you drive a car, perhaps. You notice men don't wear tunics or dresses any longer. You know, back in biblical days, they didn't have pants like we do. Basically had a robe and a tunic. So we don't say we're in sin because we don't dress a certain way, but yet we could say there's a way we can dress within the context of our culture that that would be sinful. So I hope you understand what I'm saying. When I say that we are to submit everything in our life to the Scripture. And that goes all the way from how we drive a car, how we dress, to the attitudes of our heart. If you look around, you don't have to look very far. If you were paying attention to the news over the weekend, you'll see that there is a real war taking place. Now that should not be anything new to us as believers. Because Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians that we are in a spiritual battle. He also, in his letter to the Ephesians, he says this. We battle, we war against powers and principalities. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but they're of the spirit. And they're powerful to pull down strongholds, to cast down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. So if there is any group of people on planet earth that should understand that we have been and we continue to be in a spiritual battle, it should be the church. And we shouldn't be fearful because we're in a battle. We should be confident because the battle has, the war has already been won. I mean, 
I'm sorry, the war has already been won. I'm listening to my, I was trying to see if Benjamin was calling me. So we are confident in this warfare that the war, the victory has been won by Christ. The Bible tells us that. And this battle, this warfare that we're in, is all about truth. Now the world wants to pretend like truth is relative. Do you understand what I mean by that? In other words, the world wants to convey this false reality that truth is not absolute. That each person can have their own truth. But if we believe the Bible, we can't believe that's true. (laughs) That's not truth. There is one truth. Truth is absolute. Truth is truth in Taylor, Texas. It's truth in Paris, France. It's truth in Jerusalem. It's truth in the farthest reaches of the universe. Because truth is Jesus Christ. He is the truth, and the truth is personified and defined by him. Therefore, that truth of Jesus Christ is revealed in this word we call the Bible, the Holy Scripture. And this is what we are to submit our lives to. This is what we see in the history of the church, the apostles and the church of old, the reformers, brothers and sisters today are living out the gospel to the cost of their lives. If you don't think the attacks in Paris, France are about the truth, you better wake up and realize the world you're living in because those attacks are absolutely about the truth. And it is those who love the lie that are trying to stamp out the truth. And it's not just with guns and bullets and bombs. We have warriors who stand for the lie in our universities, in our seminaries, and yes, church, even in the pulpits across the country we call America, who are actively fighting for the lie. Some are doing it willingly, knowingly, maliciously. Many are doing it naively and ignorantly thinking they're actually helping when in reality they are opposing God. Jesus makes this very clear. You're either for me or against me. So here's the reality. In the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in, there is no neutral ground. There is not. There's not a neutral place. How we, how we believe that, how we walk that out and live that reality must be determined by the Scripture. So I want to talk to you a lot today about indifference. The world seems to promote indifference in so many areas. We should not be content with simply coming to a worship service or saying that we are members of a certain church or a certain denomination or my heritage is Christian, therefore I'm good to go. Oh, your heritage is something else, that's okay. We're all going to the same place. No, we're not. We're not. And we need to know that, we need to realize that, and we need to believe that, and we need to love people enough to tell them the truth, even if it hurts their feelings. You hear me? Because it's 
probably very likely that people died in Paris over the weekend who didn't know Jesus. I know some of them did. Because some of those who died were the very people who committed the atrocities, killed themselves, blew themselves up in an effort to kill as many people around them. And they did it for their faith. They did it for the truth that they believe in. And yet we have Christians that are afraid to even speak up and, and, and talk about the gospel because they don't want to hurt someone's feelings or they don't want the disapproval of men. And we've got other people in other parts of the world and people in our own nation that are willing to pull the cord on a suicide pack and blow themselves and everybody else up. If you don't think there are people like that in our nation, boy, you better wake up. Now, why am I saying that? I'm not saying that to make you fearful because I'm, you shouldn't live fearful. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe in the God of the Bible, there is no reason for you to be fearful. Any place on planet Earth, in the most secure place or the most insecure, unsecure place, you shouldn't be fearful. If you believe that God commands your destiny, if you believe that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord, if you believe that Jesus has already won the victory, if you believe that no matter what they do to your body, they cannot rob you of the life that you have in Jesus Christ. If you fear your creator more than you fear man, then you don't have any reason to live in fear. Jesus died for your life to mean more than compulsory or occasional church attendance. Jesus died so that your life in Him would make an eternal and glorious difference. It's not up to you or me to determine what that looks like ultimately. I never dreamed of being a pastor, a preacher of the gospel. But obviously God had a plan that I didn't know about for many years. You might be a plumber or an electrician or a painter or a salesman or a clerk or whatever. You might have one of the most important jobs on planet earth, that is to be a mother raising her children You may, never, you may never leave the area that you live in now. You may never travel to the far reaches of the earth and preach the gospel to unknown people groups. But that doesn't mean your life is not important. That doesn't mean your life doesn't count for the gospel. That doesn't mean that, that you are not having an eternal impact on the kingdom of God. God determines those things how our lives will make an eternal and glorious difference. He determines what that ultimately looks like. But here is what falls in our lap, is our responsibility. It's our responsibility to commit our life fully to His glory. So mom, as you raise your children, commit your life fully to His glory as you raise those children. Man of God, as you are working your job, whatever it is, commit your life fully to whatever it is God has called you to. But understand this, whatever we do outside the confines of these walls that we call the church, it is never separated from the church. You are the church. You're the church in here on Sunday morning. You're the church wherever you go on Monday morning or Tuesday night, or Thursday night, whether you're at the ball field with your kids, or whether you're at the workplace, it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. If you are in Christ, you are the church, and your life is to make an eternal difference wherever you go and whatever you do. And you must commit to that. You are called and commanded to commit to that for His 
glory. That's not optional. That's not debatable. We should strive for overflow. Now us, us charismatic Pentecostal types, that's, I wasn't raised in church, so when I came into the church, I came into this wild-eyed, charismatic, swing from the chandeliers, roll around on the carpet, you know. And there was a lot of talk about being filled with the Spirit. The only thing is, we, we for a large part, confine that to what happened inside the church. What someone did, or what someone said, or whether some gift was manifested. And we'd all walk away happy that the fullness of the Spirit was demonstrated. The only problem with that, there seemed to be some kind of lack once you hit Monday morning and you're out there in the world. And then we'd, we'd beat it back to the church on Wednesday night to, to get full again. Then we'd beat it back to the church on Sunday morning. It's like, you know, this was our filling station. This is not your filling station. This is your equipping station. You're filled by the power of the Spirit. You're not filled because you spend two hours in a building on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Now listen, being in this building and assembling together, there's power. The Spirit of God is here, not because this building is special. There's nothing special about this building. The Spirit of God is here because the buildings that you are, you are the building of God. You are the living stones being built up into the house of God. The Spirit of God doesn't live in the seat you're sitting on. He's not in the walls or in the banners. He's not in the lights. He's in you. If you are in Christ, Christ is in you by the Spirit of God. The power of the Spirit lives in you, and you take that power wherever you go. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. It is to let the Spirit of God control you wherever you are, whatever you are doing. We need to strive for overflow, the overflow or the spillover of the gospel into the lives of others. That means prioritizing the use of your time, your talent, and your treasure for His glory. It means prioritizing and maximizing your relationships and your commitments with Christ, His Word, His church, and His glory in mind. Overflow begins with abiding in Him and His Word, which... Brings me to the scripture I want to read to you, John chapter 8. Let's begin reading in verse. Let me just begin in verse 27. I'm sorry, Joy, I didn't give you verse 27, but I just want to read from verse 27. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. So they're asking Jesus, who are you? And why are you saying the things that you're saying? And Jesus begins to tell them that the things he says, the things that he does, are the things that he's heard from his Father. And they didn't understand, verse 27, that he spoke to them of the Father. And Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself but of my Father. As the Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. That's what Jesus said, I always do. I always do. I always do the things that please Him. Do you know what we are called to do? Now, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to confess right now. I fail miserably much of the time. But I am commanded to always do the things that please the Father. But for any of you that know me, you know that I don't always do the things that please the Father. Because sometimes I lose my temper, sometimes I get impatient, sometimes I don't act as Christ-like as I should. 
That's just reality. But at the very same time, I understand that it's not my ability to perfectly walk that out. That is my salvation. It is Christ that is my salvation. And try as I might, as much as I desire to be always pleasing the Father, I fail. But in my failure, I cling to the cross. I cling to the grace of God. And I don't cling to that as a reason why I should fail or shouldn't try. I cling to that because no matter how hard I try, I will fail. But my desire, my heart, is to be more like Christ. Therefore, to be more pleasing to the Father. But Jesus, the perfect Son of God who walked in sinless perfection on this earth, says, it is my my will, my desire, I always do the things that please him. And he spoke these words. As he spoke these words, it says, many believed in him. Verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. You notice who he didn't say these things to. He said to those Jews who believed in him, which means he wasn't talking to the people that didn't believe in him. Jesus is now drawing his attention and he is speaking to those who believe in him. My question, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? If you do, then hear what Jesus says to you. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Did you hear that? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, You will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Or we could say it like this. If the son makes you free, you are no longer a slave, but you are now a son. If you believe in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. You're no longer a slave to sin. Paul very clearly tells us that in our experience of being born again, of being regenerated, of becoming sons and daughters of God, we go from being slaves to unrighteousness to becoming slaves of God and righteousness. Paul's not contradicting Jesus. Paul is talking about a fundamental change and transformation that takes place when we are born again and we come to possess a new nature and a new life. That is the life and the nature of Jesus Christ. And if you possess the life and the nature of Jesus Christ, you cannot be a slave to sin. Doesn't mean you won't fail and you won't commit sin. It means you will not become a slave. You will not continue to be a slave to sin. In other words, when you're born again, there is a real change that takes place. His word is what brings the overflow. Overflow begins with abiding in his word. You are my disciples if you abide in my word, Jesus said. If you abide in his word, you abide in him, and he abides in you. You can't abide in his word and not have his spirit abide in you. Do you see, these aren't separate things. These things all work together. To abide in the word of Christ is to abide in Christ. To have his word abide in you is to have Christ abide in you. Is to have his spirit abide in you. There should be a love and a desire for the word of God in your life. So that the overflow of the gospel will be seen and felt and known by those around you. 
Indifference is the enemy of overflow and the friend of compromise. Indifference is the enemy of overflow and the friend of compromise. Conveniently ignoring the truth is willfully promoting the lie. I saw an atheist, professed atheist professor, who in a moment of absolute honesty says, the reason I speak out against Christianity is because I don't fear Christianity. The reason I don't speak out against Islam is because I know what they'll do to me. He just said it right there. He doesn't believe either one of them. But you have a problem speaking out against Christians and Christianity because he doesn't fear what Christians are going to do. And you know, he shouldn't fear that we're going to punish him, but he sure should fear God. He's, his fears are misplaced. He, he fears the wrong, he fears the wrong people. He fears the wrong God. I don't fear the God of the Bible because he's not going to do anything to me. But boy, those Muslims, I'm not going to talk about them because they'll come and chop my head off. I mean, that is the lie personified right there. That is the devil who has perpetuated the lie so, I mean, so well that we have people fearing the wrong gods the wrong things if he only knew this is exactly what Jesus said don't fear those who have power to kill your body fear him who has power to cast your soul into hell in the spiritual warfare we are engaged in there is no neutral ground You cannot claim to be on the side of truth while trying to live in a spiritual no-man's land that does not exist. We either occupy the ground of truth or we do not. If you are in Christ, you stand on the ground of truth. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3.15, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You are called the pillar and ground of the truth because you are the body of Christ, Christ who is the rock. You can't separate Christ from his body. You can't separate the body of Christ from the head who is Christ. This is why Paul says the church, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Paul calls the church the pillar and ground of the truth. Christ is this rock which the church is built upon, which truth, the truth that we are established upon. That ground of truth is the ground that the church is being built upon by Christ. Because he is that ground. We are to give a unified witness to the truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. That means we must be willing to contend for the faith. So God gave us the Holy Spirit that we would be powerful witnesses to him. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Go and tarry in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And you will be endued with power from on high to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God has poured out his spirit. He has given us his spirit so that we would be powerful witnesses. The disciples prayed to speak his word with all boldness. In Acts chapter 4, verses 49 through 31, we see this. They prayed that God would fill them with all boldness. And what did God do? It says God filled them with the Holy Spirit and they did indeed speak the word of God with boldness. In Jude's letter, Jude found it necessary to exhort the church to earnestly or fervently contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That's Jude 1.3. There is to be boldness in the church to stand up and proclaim and earnestly contend for the faith and for the truth. 
This is not the day or the hour to back down, to shrink back. This is the time to stand boldly and proclaim the gospel, to proclaim truth, to contend for the faith, to be a witness to the world. The faith and the truth has been once for all delivered. That's what Jude writes. It's not evolving as some false teachers would have us believe who teach such things because they love not the truth, but they love the approval of men more than they love and fear God. Jude also writes that certain men long ago marked out for this condemnation have crept in unnoticed. Jude 1.4. Where have they crept into? They've crept into the church. Paul also writes of this unrighteous deception among those who perish, who did not receive the love of the truth in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 17. Let me just hold your place in, in John. Let me just take you over there. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I love this scripture because it gives us such great promise. Verse 10, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But look at verse 13. But we... He's talking to the church. He's talking to the believers. This applies to you who profess faith in Christ. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you By our gospel, how were they called to the truth? They were called to the truth by the gospel. This is why Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You were called to salvation by the gospel, whether you realize it or not. This is why this is the day, this is the hour as great as any that has ever existed before, that the church should boldly proclaim the gospel because we are called to the truth by the gospel. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work in every good word and work. Church, you don't have a reason to be fearful. You have every reason to be hopeful. The faith and the truth that has once and for all been delivered to the saints. This is the faith and the truth that has been delivered to us today in Christ. And where is it that we are called to contend earnestly for the faith? We're called to contend for that within the church. That's why it's important for us to believe that this word defines our faith We've got churches that call themselves Christian that don't even believe in this Bible. Do you see the mixed messages that are being sent? And people are being confused. And we know that God is not the author of confusion. If we stick to the scripture, we cannot be confused unless we want to be confused. Doesn't mean we'll understand everything. Doesn't mean we'll have everything figured out. But the things that we should be clear on, we will be clear on if we submit ourselves to the Scripture. 
we have certain Judeites. There are men marked out for this condemnation that have crept in unnoticed. Where have they crept in? They crept into the church. It's no accident. Where did the where did the serpent come to in the beginning? He went right to the garden. He went right to Adam and Eve, and he whispered the lie. I don't know if he whispered. I think he probably didn't whisper. I think he just said it in all authority because he lies with authority because he is the father of all lies, the Bible says. It's, there is no accident. It's not a coincidence that the enemy comes to those who hold the truth to try to sow the seeds of deception. Because if we can convince people that this Bible is not reliable, not to be believed, not to be trusted, then what are you going to believe and what are you going to trust in? I'll tell you what you're going to believe and trust in, whatever you want to. And this is exactly what Jesus said. So it will be as it was in the days of Noah that each man will do what is right in his own eyes. That cannot, that must not define the church And when we become a people that will do what is right in our own eyes and say this doesn't matter anymore, we are no longer the church. We're a lie. It's apostasy. Why is this important? Again, turn your TV on, read your newspapers, and see what's happening in the world. See what's coming to a neighborhood near you If we do not take a stand, if you don't think God won't let that come to this nation, you are deceived. Because if that's what it takes for God to shake the church out of its indifference, to shake her out of her slumber, if that's what it takes to wake up the church, God will gladly allow that to come to our cities and our neighborhoods if it means that's what's going to wake up His church. If you don't believe that's true, take the time and go back and study history and see how God has worked in human history. And you will see this is exactly what God has done throughout history. This is not the first time we've had lands attacked by... It doesn't matter whether they're Muslim or what they are. Go back to your history and you'll see this is not new. You'll also see in your history that the lands that have given us, the nations that have given us freedom, are overwhelmingly nations that were founded on Judeo-Christian values. There's a reason why we live in a free country and we have the right to exercise free speech and freedom of religion. That didn't come from Islam. That came from Christianity. And if you don't think God didn't have a hand in that, when Paul wanted to go east, and God forbid him to go east, and God sent him west to Macedonia, to Greece, and on to Rome, and on to Spain, and you saw Christianity spread westward, and the lands that our freedom were born in and established in and the laws that came down to us that have become our constitution and our nation's laws, those laws and those precepts and those principles are born out of the Scripture. I said that one time and I had a family leave the church because they didn't like that I was equating the Bible with politics because they don't believe, they didn't believe this nation was founded on Christian principles. We agreed to disagree, but they decided they didn't want to be in a church where a pastor believed that. I'm going to tell you right now, I believe that. I believe it unashamedly. I believe we need to thank God for our freedom. We would not be free today were it not for God, were it not for men and women who put their life on the line to proclaim this gospel, to make sure this Bible was written printed in a language that you could read 
and you could understand so that you could read for yourself the words of Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit in you to bring revelation of Christ written on every page of this book. That our laws and our freedoms are established because God is the author of freedom. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Free to do what? Free to live. Free to have life. Not free to do whatever you want to do, to live to yourself. Free to live to Christ. Free to be his witness. Free to experience the resurrection life and the resurrection power. Free to experience the power of a changed life. If you're born again, your life should be changed. We are not going to be perfect, but we should be changed. And we should be changing. Psalm 119, we just studied this Wednesday night, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 119 is about the Word of God. And in Psalm 119, I believe verse 4, there is a command to keep. It's all throughout those first eight verses of the psalm. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep, who guard, who protect his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep, to guard, to protect your precepts diligently. That word diligently in the Hebrew is the very same word. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, where Jesus quotes it in, the Matthew of, in, in, gospel, in, in Matthew's gospel, where he says, this is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord God your, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. To love him diligently, might, with all of your might, with all of your strength, with all of your might. That's what the Old Testament, that's what Deuteronomy commands. It's the same word there, to keep your precepts diligently, to keep them with all your might. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Jesus said, pray this way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How are you going to keep his precepts diligently. You're going to do it by his grace because he is going to direct you in the way you are to go. Then I would not be ashamed when I looked into all your commandments. We are commanded to keep, to protect, to guard his truth. The psalmist reveals that we do this by the grace of God. We will never come to the truth and we will never come to unity through indifference until we actively seek and strive and contend for the faith, for truth, and for unity under the banner of his love, his peace, and his joy for all of his glory. This is what we are commanded to not just to do, this is who we are commanded to be. Our very life, who we are in our life, not just on Sunday morning, not just on Wednesday night, but in, in everything that we do, in everything that we are, our life should stand opposed to that which is false. And we should be willing to take a stand for the truth in hopes that the truth that set us free will also set other men free. God doesn't promise this is easy, but I am saying that God has commanded us in these things, even when they are difficult. The first order of unity is for us to come under the unity of the truth revealed to us in this word. Listen, I can be in agreement with a Muslim, but I cannot be one with him. I can be in disagreement with a brother or a sister in Christ and still be one with them in Christ. 
it's, it's not that we are to be disagreeable. It's, we're to under, it's that we are to understand where we are to be in agreement and where we cannot be in agreement. Listen, my Muslim neighbor who walks out and says, isn't that a beautiful blue sky? I'm not going to say, nope, that sky's not blue, it's purple. I'll say, yes, that's a beautiful blue sky. We can agree on that. But I also understand there are fundamental things that I can never agree on. So what do I do? I'm using that as an extreme. Most of you probably don't have Muslim neighbors. But what about your neighbor who professes to be a Christian? What about your coworker who professes to be a Christian? What about the person sitting next to you in the seat in, in the church? What about the person in your carpool? What about that family member who's an atheist? What about those people that, that just want to be disagreeable and don't want to give you any any affirmation because they think your faith in Christ is ridiculous. How does your life witness to them? How does your life witness to the person who professes to be a Christian, yet what they fundamentally believe and what they fundamentally do in their life is diametrically opposed to who Christ is? Do you take a stand for the truth? Do you let the overflow of the gospel Do you let it spill over into their life? Do you pray that God would give you the right words and the right way to boldly, not timidly, but boldly proclaim the truth? Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Truth is not a relative philosophy of man. It is an absolute reality of God. Truth directs our worship, defines our faith, dictates our walk. Christ came to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears his voice. That's what he told Pontius Pilate, recorded in John chapter 18, verse 37. To love truth is to love Christ, and to rejoice in truth is to rejoice in Christ, and all who walk in truth. John the Apostle penned these words concerning those who walk in truth, recorded in 3 John chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth resist the sin of indifference that remains still and silent in the face of those forces that would seek to erode the truth indifference will not contend for the faith indifference remains silent and still before those who would seek to subvert the truth and so the once and for all delivered faith indifference is Sin that is often disguised as tolerance or compassion or even unity or any other term that men use as a reason to not contend for the faith and for the truth that has been delivered to us. If we are careful observers, we will see that from a personal to a global level, God is challenging indifference and compromise toward the truth. The things happening in our families, in our churches, in our communities, and in our world are not coincidence. God is purposefully, listen to me church, God is purposefully shaking us from our indifference that we might stand for his glory. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that if I don't tell you that, I am not being honest with you. If I don't warn you that this is what's happening in our world. If I just allow you to believe that somehow because we live under the American flag, that we are somehow going to be sheltered and protected from these forces. 
These are spiritual forces. This is a spiritual battle. It has come to us. It didn't come to us on September 11th, 2001. It was already here. It was here before the first pilgrim came here. This is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual war. This is the opposition of the enemy trying to oppose and trying to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God, but he cannot, he will not do it because the promise is this. Unto us a child is given, unto us a child is born, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. No end. The enemy cannot win. He is already defeated. He is, he's, his, his demise has already been sealed. The question is, do you know that? The question is, are you discerning what's happening around us? That God is just as interested, more interested that his children walk in the truth. And when his children, when his church becomes indifferent, when his church becomes apathetic, don't think a good God and a good father is going to do the right thing and rouse his children out of their sleep and out of their slumber and open their eyes to the reality that exists around them. A good God does that and that is exactly what our good God is doing. So I'm going to say it again, church. God is purposefully shaking us from our indifference that we might stand for his glory. I don't know what form that shaking will take. Only God does. But I want you to be aware it's happening. The writer of Hebrews says that God will shake all that can be shaken. And he is. He's shaken. As Miss Bussy says, he's a moving and a grooving. And he is. Let's all stand. So here's my challenge to you that you earnestly seek God to reveal indifference in your life and repent as he reveals it. I challenge you to fervently seek God for the overflow of the gospel in your life and a desire to abide in his word. To love Christ is to love his church and to devote your life to him through his body. If CFC is your church, I challenge you to devote yourself to Christ through this body of believers. I challenge you to love God and to love one another, to hate sin and the lie that opposes the truth, and to contend for the faith for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. We are desperate for your grace, for it is in your grace that we are changed. Father, change us, mold us, transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Conform us to the image of your glorious Son. Give us a love for truth. Give us a spirit to contend and fight for truth and unity and love as a witness to the world and for the glory of your name. It is for that glory the glory of your name, that we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.